You're listening to the Games and Street Doctors podcast. I'm James Spatula and I'm here hosting the last of our audio sessions from our GI Live online talks. This one is an interview with Peter Moore, previously of EA Sports and Xbox, uh, but now of Unity and Nifty Games. Chris Dring speaks to him about the correlation between sports games and sports fans, sports enthusiasts. So without any further ado, over to you, Chris. Hello and welcome to GI Live Online. My name is Chris and I run GamesIndustry.biz and I'm joined today by a real games legend. He's best known for his work with Sega, Xbox and EA on iconic brands such as the Dreamcast, Xbox 360 and uh, FIFA. But more than that, he's also a huge name in the sporting world too. He spent three years at Liverpool Football Club overseeing the business as it won the Champions League and the Premier League amongst others. He was even named Premier League CEO of the year in 2019, which I didn't even realise was a thing. Um, uh, He also supported numerous initiatives during that time via his own charitable foundation. But in recent months, he has returned to video games, both at mobile developer Nifty Games and at tech giant Unity. So please welcome back Peter Moore. Hello, Peter. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. I'm really wonderful to have you back in the games industry. Yeah, no, I'm excited at, um, you know, both at Nifty on the board of directors, and I know we'll talk about that, but uh, a full-time job again here at Unity Technologies that I'm really excited about. So what made you give up that sort of trophy-laden career uh, at Liverpool to return to our world? Well, it was less about giving up. We, we had done a, a three-year deal to leave here in California. My wife and I have got six kids between us, and, and so it was uh, not easy. It's Let me tell you, it's not easy picking up and relocating and domiciling legally in a different country. And, um, and then to, to, to come back again was, was always in our plans. Uh, so we, uh, we signed up for a three-year deal. Um, as I just mentioned before we went live, you know, couldn't have been a better three years from the perspective of uh, being at the helm of, at one point, I think, the best club in the world. And um, it has been an incredible experience for me, and, and, but uh, delighted to be back in California as well. Um, I think most importantly, my three years at Liverpool, I was able to bring a lot of my video game experience, interestingly, into how we ran the club, how we engaged with fans around the world, um, how we acquired uh, data to, to make our football club uh, of greater value to, to the lives of fans in Thailand and uh, gosh, you, know, you name it throughout Europe, uh, all through Africa. Uh, it's a global football club, as you well know. And so my video game experience uh, had only in good stead while I was at Liverpool. Well, did you, I mean, I was going to ask about this later, but it sort of gave me a good link there. What about yeah. the other way? I mean, now that you've spent three years in football, is there things like, oh, hang on, these are things that the games industry can learn from. Was there anything? Yeah, I think, you know, managing <clears throat> managing hundreds of millions of people uh, is, is something that we do both in, in, in football, as you know, Premier League, you know, big clubs have got hundreds of millions of fans around the globe. And the same in games, we manage um, and add value to the lives of hundreds of millions of people from the perspective of, of what our experience delivers to people every single day and how we learn from that. And in fact, Nifty is, is a sports uh, mobile game developer with licenses with the NFL and NBA. So understanding sports, the emotion of sports, the passion of sports, and how you can bring it to life for people in, in, on different platforms using different technologies. You know, as football fans, you know, we, we 24-7, we want experiences. And, you, you know, you only play once a week, most times, twice a week sometimes if you're playing in Europe. Um, and in between that, you're thirsty for experiences that link you closer to your team. And, and um, you know, sports games have always done that. 
in my days as president of EA Sports, we were able to grow the FIFA franchise to make it part and parcel of football culture. Um, you know, players wanted their, their stats to be better. Uh, you watch a Premier League game and you know darn well that that EA Sports branding is on all of the officials there. I mean, it's, EA Sports has done a tremendous job in linking itself with the real world of, of football. Um, and here in America, you add Madden and the NFL and NBA and NHL and all of the licenses UFC that EA has. And, and um, when we take it to the mobile space of which Nifty is doing brilliantly, you've also got this level of accessibility. Um, you know, you've got five minutes, you can play a game. Uh, and, you, you know, it's using, uh, in the case of Nifty, a card mechanic, a Clash Royale mechanic, if you will, to have these quick games that are easy to pick up and really difficult for you to be really, really good at. Um, you know, so from that perspective, I'm delighted that my sports experience of what I had at three years at Liverpool, I, I'm able to bring it back into games the same way as bring games experience into Liverpool. So is that what, is that what excited you about Nifty then? Was the, is, is that what intrigued you? Yeah, I mean, Nifty was, was interesting. John Middleton had reached out to me and, and he and I, you know, as you're doing games, because it's such a, a, a great industry in which we stay, either we're competitors or we're collaborators, but, you know, we're all part of this great movement that I've been a part of since the late 90s. Um, and there, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people I've stayed in contact with, even when I left games, if you will, to, to, to be at Liverpool. Social media helps enormously. John reached out and, you know, just randomly, I think on Facebook Messenger and said, I saw you left Liverpool. I'd like to show you something. And uh, I said, sure, you know, with no real intention at that point of jumping right back into anything. But what he showed me and then I got a build of the game uh, to, to mess around with. Uh, on my phone. I thought this is really, really interesting. So he offered me a board seat. And, um, you know, since then I've been deeply involved uh, as a director and watching. And it's so, you know, it, it, it's so great to be back in that flow of seeing the next build, downloading it through Test Pilot, which we all do on our mobile phones, seeing how the game evolves from an animation perspective, from a user input perspective. And it just takes me back to where I was in 2017 at EA. Um, and, you know, back in it. Um, so loving it. Uh, the NBA game is, is a little bit behind the NFL game, but I'm playing that as well. And it's, you know, I still have that rush that I had uh, back when we were trying to figure out sports games on the Sega Dreamcast and how we're going to get them to run a 56K board modem and <laughs> building out the 2K brand as we did then for Sega Sports 2K uh, mm. and, um, you know, figuring out how sports were going to evolve in, in, in a platform and a medium that was still very limited for what we could do. Well, I'm sort of, and this is the thing with games is as, as quickly as things change, stay the same, as quickly as things change, you find that also a lot of things still stay the same, but I imagine it's changed a little bit since in, in, your, in, your, in your absence. Um, has, has anything that's particularly different that struck you? I just think, you know, in, in the three years, yeah, obviously the scale, you look at games like a Fortnite, which I watched with great interest in that three years uh, as it started to grow. Um, the way that online is being used now, um, you know, from the perspective of tens of millions of people jumping in on experiences, not just the normal flow of gamer versus gamer, but events. Um, and, you know, you look at, I look, and I'm, you know, maybe in a, in a rare situation, I can look back at the early days when games were completely offline and the innovations we made at Sega with the Dreamcast 
to figure out how we were going to build. We, we, we had this thing called Sega Net, which was the first, if you will, preceded Xbox Live, preceded the PlayStation Network. And, and it's with a little bit of pride, but a smile on your face when you see where it is today. I remember coining a phrase in 1999, we're taking gamers where gaming is going. And, and online, we still couldn't imagine it and, and imagine that the power of what it brings today, which we all take for granted. You just log yeah. into a game and you go into the lobby and whatever, you know, whatever game you happen to play, there's thousands of people ready to play with you, against you. And, and but boy, you know, when we were trying to figure that out with, with dial-up, with the Dreamcast, and um, a lot of naysayers, you know, this is never going to work. Um, people don't want to play against strangers. They want to play against their mate on the couch. And that was, you know, the way that, um, you know, and gaming is, can be, you have to fight change. And I've had enough moments of contra controversy and, 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 you know, making statements about what I believe the future was. And, and, and gamers at the time didn't like it, didn't, you know, care for it. And, what I've learned coming back into games, that there's different stuff now that gamers don't like and don't care for. And that was <laughs> very interesting, um, you know, when you when you get back into the saddle like I've just done. Yeah. Well, it's, I think I think we were discussing on the GI podcast recently, the Dreamcast might be the most unsuccessful and influential console that, that exists in many ways because of how... It, it, yeah. it may not, it was perhaps a bit before its time. As I think people said that time Absolutely. and time again. Absolutely before its time. It needed to be before its time because of the impending launch of the PlayStation 2. If the PlayStation 2 had got out before um, the Dreamcast, I don't think there would be any um, space in the gamers' minds and wallets for, mm -hmm. for a Dreamcast. We got out ahead of it, but it was ahead of its time. If, if it had been another 18 months, broadband would have been a little bit more accessible. If you remember the Dreamcast, you could buy a broadband adapter, which plugged in very clunky and inelegant, but you would plug that in and then you could put your ethernet cable in there. But, um, you know, from the perspective of there was this uh, concept that we needed to beat to market the PlayStation 2 and, and, mm. and we did, but boy, you know, it was a, a long haul to be able to convince gamers to stay with the Dreamcast. And, you know, as I've said many times, Sony did a brilliant job in fudding us fear, uncertainty, and doubt of the PlayStation 2 coming, the emotion engine, um, everything that is linked to then the power of what online gaming promised. And, and they did a brilliant job. And it's, um, it's become something of you know, a sad moment when I think back of what we could have done and the things we should have done. Um, but we were, we were overwhelmed at that point yeah. by um, what PlayStation needed to do. But the lessons you learned from that, you took it to Xbox anyway, and, and I guess yeah, the journey yeah. continued. And, and more resources at Microsoft, obviously, and a real focus there on building the Xbox brand and uh, the real, the, you know, the Xbox 360, the, you know, the, the real um, most successful launch that, that Microsoft had had. And, and, you know, holding on to the brand during difficult times, like the Red Rings of Death, um, you know, and, yeah. and maintaining the brand to where it is today. And if we hadn't have done that, that brand wouldn't have existed and Microsoft may have, you know, exited the, the gaming business as a result of some of the challenge they were having right there. And then we were having right there and then with, with the Xbox 360, but, you know, management at the, the very highest level stuck with it, believed in it, invested in making it right for gamers as best they could. And, um, you know, what you have now with Xbox is a direct legacy of those actions during that period. Mm. 
Well, we can be in in America, so you don't mind me having my Starbucks. No, absolutely not. (laughs) I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. Um, The um, I I I, I'm we deviated. I could talk about the uh, uh, that era for a bit, but actually, you mentioned Xbox, so it might be worth. This might be a good question because one of the things that perhaps has become more of a thing in the three years is sort of subscription services. And actually, I think it's interesting because you've come from. Uh, football and and you know I I'm a I'm a I subscribe to Sky Sports purely to watch I support yep. Leeds United to watch Leeds play and and yeah. um, and obviously season tickets and that kind of stuff. But what, what do you make of all that? Yeah, I mean it's it's a simple it's just a change of business model and and you have to make a decision. You you and I bought our Sky Sports subscription because we love watching football and you know I don't I can't remember it's like thirty five quid or something like that. But you go yeah it's worth it for me because I'll you'll not only watch Leeds but you know, you'll watch Liverpool and, and you'll watch all the big games and you probably say, as I always do, I probably watched, you know, even when I was like traveling with the team, I still watch 15, 16, 18 games a month. And, you know, you just do simple division. Is it worth it for me? And, and you know, I could claim market research, I guess, in those in those days when you're the CEO of the club and looking at other clubs. But I think you do. It's an entertainment um, dollar. Um, we, we would gladly spend that kind of money you know, going to the movies and buying popcorn and, and a Coke and what have you. And by the time you, you know, pay petrol to go, you go, well, we shelled out 30, 40 quid um, for watching a 90 minute, two hour movie. So I think you always do that. Your Netflix subscription here in the US, we're starting to see more and more subscription services for the OTT. So in other words, you've got your classic, you know, regular networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, you've got your cable, um, you know, myriad of channels as we do in the UK. But more and more, if I want to watch uh, football here, Premier League, I've got to subscribe to um, Peacock, uh, which is the streaming service for NBC, um, CBS Plus streaming service. So we're seeing streaming services come online. And again, sports being the tip of the spear for driving adoption of those subscription services. ESPN Plus, so Champions League games, FA Cup games, Premier League games are spread across multiple rights owners. So, so subscription services all the way from your Netflix subscription are there. You just have to, as an individual, you know, make a decision, you know, is, is it good use of my money or whether I'd rather buy a la carte, you know, a game here and a game there. Obviously, we did this with at EA when I was there with EA Access. And, um, you know, it, it was, I thought, great value for money for what you got. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I'm always a bit, I, I'll be fascinated to see generally because I'm... Um, like I subscribe to Netflix. I subscribe to Sky uh, uh, Sports, but I'm watching. Not watching a 90 minute game of football is a little different to subscribing to a service where the game products last sometimes years, but you know hundreds of hours. So I, I have that thing where I'm like, I don't really need to subscribe to something. You know, I think I suppose. I mean, I do, but I suppose most gamers only play a handful of games a year. So I guess that's the reason. I guess we'll we'll see how that plays out. I suppose. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's very much a personal decision. You just look at what your disposable income is and what your entertainment pound, dollar, euro you want to spend and what's the best way to spend it. You know, and again, I use a movie trip as a great example. None of us think twice about, you know, when we could go to the movies, you know, go and you take your wife, your girlfriend or whatever. And, you know, by the time you look at it, you've spent, you know, 45, 50 quid and you've watched a 90 minute movie, which may or may not have been good. Um, and, you know, the same, you can you can argue, for half of that, you've got your SkyScope subscription or your your subscription services to, to video game uh, platforms and portals. Hmm. Well, let's go back to sport um, because yep. um, games based on real sport 
I, we've got a lot of developers potentially watching this and and I guess they, they might be put off by working with real sports because they don't have the pockets of EA or Take-Two or those sort of giants because there's huge amounts of money to be successful in this. But do you think there are opportunities sort of for smaller teams and smaller developers when it comes yeah, to I mean, real sports? Obviously, Chris, the mobile space gives the greatest opportunity to, to be able to, to jump into sports. And we're seeing... Yes, it's great to have the NFL shield show up as we do at Nifty when, when the game is loading because it gives you authenticity. What does a sports license give you? It gives you, you know, if you have the PA, the Players Association as well, you, you have the players that you recognize, you know, the Tom Brady's of this world. You've got the teams you recognize, my New England Patriots. You've got the stadiums. You've got the uniforms. It's pure authenticity. And, and it, it, it isn't cheap, um, but you have to believe in your product. You have to believe that authenticity and paying for it is worth it. And that that brand that is NFL Shield or the NBA logo when it comes up screams, you know, authenticity. It screams that you're about to have an experience that has the real players, the real stadiums, the real uniforms, etc. And again, as a gamer, you've got to make that decision. We've, um, you know, at EA in, in my previous years there, did that brilliantly, I think, with FIFA, with the licensing that we would do all the way, not just individual, you know, FIFA itself, but the confederations getting the deals done with the leagues all across Europe, getting individual marketing deals done with the clubs so that you could use individual players. And over the years, you know, it's gone from a Wayne Rooney to a Messi to a Ronaldo. And then, you know, now it's like 25 different covers because football's so tribal you know, you can't put an English player on a game destined for Germany, you know. And so from that perspective, um, EA then figures out the regional covers that it can do um, that would be relevant in those countries. But I think there's great examples. And, and you use, I, I referred to the clash mechanic. Um, there's great examples where mobile games have been phenomenally successful using, you know, generic sport. And think of golf. Think of, if you look at the legacy of golf in video games and forget mm -hmm. You can, you can certainly say Tiger Woods with EA over the years, uh, but in the mobile space, golf, tennis, um, somewhat generic games, if you will, using generic characters, but playing the game of golf, playing the game of tennis, have been phenomenally successful. And, and again, the, the, the clash mechanic has, has helped enormously uh, make it very accessible. Maybe gamers like that don't care that it's not you know, Rory McIlroy or, or Ian Poulter or Lee Westwood in golf or Serena Williams or, you know, Nadal or Djokovic in tennis. Um, they just want fun. And, and I think if you look back at the legacy of games, the we taught us that with we sports, we all played we sports and just not, didn't even look like athletes, right? You know, but it was fun and it was sports oriented. And I think that taught us that, yes, Look, EA Sports is always going to be successful. There is a gamer out there that wants to play authentic. They want Tom Brady under center. They want him throwing to, to Gronkowski, and they want that stadium to be Foxborough Stadium, and they want the Patriots uniform to be authentic. But there's as many gamers that just want to play Tecmo Bowl, which you won't remember, but is a classic you know, early football game, very heavily pixelated, but it was fun. And, and that's the key is if, it's, if you've got a fun mechanic that's engaging, that's engrossing, that's easy to jump into, then you're hooked and you start forgetting, you know, in some instances that um, you've got uh, the ability uh, to, to have authentic players uniforms, but you're just having fun. 
And so the authenticity kind of fades off into the background. But if you do have the ability to go get a license, absolutely, you know, that has, that has a huge effect and impact on, on hardcore sports fans like you and I who will play FIFA because you can play as Leeds United at Ellen Road, wearing the white strip, Patrick Bamford's up front, Bielsa's sat on his bucket on the sidelines. And that's what you want and you love, right? Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's why you buy FIFA. Yes, that is... I actually waited until Ellen Rowe was in the game to get FIFA. <laughs> so, um, so I, Hence I, yeah. my point on tribalism, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> the... Um, uh, well, is that so? The, in your, in your, that's why mobile, I guess, is such a fertile ground for this because it's it, it, you can't really create that the FIFA experience in mind. Maybe you can, but it's not quite right, is it? But it, it no, allows you I, to. Yeah, no. It's a great point because at first at EA, we tried to recreate the FIFA experience. I remember talking many, many years ago. And, you know, when you've got a device with a screen, oh, it, and it was not as big as this, you know, um, it was challenging. So you've got to rethink what the FIFA, the Madden experience is uh, on the game. And I think what you're now seeing is mobile game developers, EA doing a decent job, but, but a developer like Nifty, where we've got a lot of, of seasoned developers who have been around the block of, of console games and sports, but, but are very focused on delivering an engaging experience on a relatively small screen that doesn't require dexterity and a certain level of skill. It just requires you to figure out what lineup you want in any game situation using your cards. And from, I'm probably 300 games in, maybe 400 games in on the NFL game, and I'm deeply engrossed in building my team and trading, getting my quarterback right, getting my wide receivers right, all of the stuff. And apologies for the Americanisms here, but you know, mm -hmm. making sure you've got the best team that you possibly can. And um, I'm in and out in like four minutes playing a game. And if I'm in between a Zoom call like this and, and I've got four or five minutes, bang, NFL clash. Because uh, I need to, to build my team the more I play, the more I understand the game, the more the game understands me from an AI perspective and uh, the better players I get, you know, classic game mechanic. Although I, I think in some people's experiences, it's while they're on the Zoom calls, they're, they're, <laughs> they're You can playing. do that as well, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I have learned the skill of um, being able to, to, to play it whilst not looking at it, so I do need to look at it, so. Well, I mean, what about, are there any other technologies that you think are either coming up or already here that um, might be sort of ripe for exploration when it comes to sports? Yeah, I mean, certainly too early for me to get into the work that I'm doing here at Unity, but, you know, I think everybody knows the Unity platform. If you're a gamer, you're probably using it. You certainly are playing with it. And so the work that, that I'm looking at in sports is where we can take this incredibly powerful platform that utilizes real-time 3D um, into the world of sports um, broadcasting, sports analysis, you and I experiencing sports in a different way. You know, I've watched Leeds United play for 50 years and they're easy to watch because they play in all white. Why is that important? Because when I was watching in black and white, you needed to, and seriously, the, one team needed to play in light colors, the other team needed to play in dark colors. Leeds United, because they play in all white, was a team I can still see now you know, the Don Reavy era before you were mm. born, but that, you know, the Billy Bremners, the Gary Sprakes, the Peter Lorimers, the Johnny Giles, that Leeds team, um, you know, black and white. And I think when I look at, as a fan of sports, 
that's been absorbing sports through television for 60 years, the biggest, the biggest change for me has been from black and white to color as regards utilization of technology. And ironically, when you look at the FIFA experience, it is so superior or, or the Madden experience, the camera angles, everything you can do because you're working in a virtual world. Well, imagine if you had that, you know, to be able, that kind of power in a platform to be able to experience sports in, in a real-time 3D element. And, um, you know, those are the types of things we're working on here at Unity. Early days, yeah, but, um, you know, eventually in the coming months, I'll be able to, to show a little peaks of what we're up to. But I think that's the greatest opportunity for us in sports to apply video game technology to the consumption and experiencing of sports in, in the real world. And that's what I was, I was going to ask, actually, what an SVP of sport and live entertainment does at Unity. So I, that's, I'm fascinated <laughs> by what we're... Yeah, like I say, it's, it, 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 it's, it's early days for me. Um, but if I didn't believe in, in the ability for this particular company and its platform and its engine to change the way we consume and experience, in my case, sports, then, then, then I'd be sat down there on the beach. Uh, but, but I couldn't be more excited to be part of something again. Um, so fortunate in my career to be at these moments where I think things are about to change and, and I'm going to be hopefully at the forefront of that. So again, more to come on that, but that's, um, that's kind of why I'm here. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, <clears throat> okay. You might have touched upon it quite a few times now. I was going to ask what the relationship between sports and video games is already quite close and talked about what FIFA does. Um, and uh, I, I think the last time I spoke to you when you were in the games industry was at what uh, probably wasn't White Hart Lane, or maybe it was White Hart Lane. It was um, yes. when, it, when it was um, uh, this we, we renewed the Premier League deal. Um, yeah, with uh, Christian Eriksen. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I do remember that. Um, uh, uh, yes, that was before the stadium, wasn't it? Um, uh, so the close, the important point was the relationship between sports and games has always been really close. But do you think there are opportunities to get even closer? Yeah, I think and the one thing I've, I've learned by being both sides of the table is the power of what video games does to, to um, educate primarily young men about sports, not just play the game, but that we took great pride at EA about, and I'm certainly doing it with my NFL clash game, looking at players I've never heard of and figuring out whether I want them in my playing squad or not, is understanding the players, the history of the clubs, the, 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 the playing position and why it's important, the attributes of that playing position. Um, and from that perspective, you know, video games has done, I think, tremendous amounts of good. And FIFA at the highest level will tell you this, um, that it's introduced it to millions, to full generations of people, boys and girls, men and women, um, about the, the, the beautiful game, about why, and we're just focused on FIFA right now, but, but, but you know, absorbing it. And so you're, you're learning it and then, you will then naturally start to watch it on television. Hopefully you're playing it on a Saturday afternoon yourself. And, but games do this, this great job of giving you the entree into the world because, you know, six or seven years of age, you start to pick up a controller and, and mess around with it. And um, all of a sudden you're hooked. The amount of engagement we, we used to measure um, at EA in, in my days there was through the roof as regards sitting down with a 14 year old and talking about the attributes of the left back at Slavia Prague or Red Star Belgrade and whether this person was worth being on their ultimate team based on their attributes. Um, and, and they could rattle off all of these players. And, and I always took great um, pride, if you will, about what we were doing for sports in general. 
on top of writing really big checks to the leagues and mm -hmm. to, uh, to the clubs that were involved. And so it was a virtuous cycle for all of us. The, the, the more games we sold, the more money sports made. Um, that allowed them to continue to invest in giving access to, to, to game companies like EA and more recently Nifty uh, so that they made sure that there was the level of authenticity. And what happens now when you are um, a licensee um, is the leagues work with you um, uh, very closely to make sure you have everything you need to provide that level of authenticity. Mm. I actually got into F1 through video games. That was, um, I, was, I played the games first, thought actually this is quite cool, and then got into the sport. So yeah, so. Yeah, F1, I mean, you go back to the old EA days, more recently Codemasters, and, and yeah. you know, you learned about the drivers and the tracks, you know, and I think it's, um, apologies, there's a helicopter right overhead here. I, I, no, I can't hear it, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Um, but from the perspective of, um, you know, something like a Formula One, which is completely inaccessible to the average young man, right? How often do you, can you get your ticket down to the British Grand Prix or whatever? I mean, it's not mm. really, and it's once a year. And then you, as, as it is this weekend, you're in Bahrain. But boy, video games gives you that portal to, to, to go understand the teams. And, and right now, you know, um, Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, Aston Martin coming in, obviously Lewis Hamilton, you know, so the drama of Formula One. Um, experience through a video game is spectacular. You get the sound right, the visuals right, and you get your controller, or if you're a little bit more uh, serious, you get your wheel. And, um, and it was, for me, it was always a phenomenal uh, game mm. to play. Mm. Well, no wonder they, EA was so keen to, to pick the team up. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I'll, I'll wrap things up. I'm conscious of the time. Um, but I guess and this is quite a broad question. Where do you see the growth in video games coming over the next five years? I mean, sport could be sports games, but could not be sports games. Yeah, I, I think sports is one, but I think, you know, it's just the genre. Um, you know, it's obviously no secret that the, the video gaming industry has benefited from people being locked down for the last 12 months. I think the real key is going to be, I, you know, I think we as an industry have um, been introduced to so many new gamers of all shapes, sizes, ages, um, all geographic locations, because we've all been locked down and we're all using these devices and and yeah, it's great for work, but we can also have a lot of fun using these devices. And you've seen what's happened with the revenues of all of these companies going through the roof. The key will be is when we start to return, hopefully, to some sense of normality, uh, that we retain these gamers and that we engage them um, and that they understand that these devices and the technologies that I'm currently involved in, you know, start to drive and disrupt and, and add this creative element uh, that um, whether it's sports games or, um, you know, different genres um, and that we've added tens of millions of new gamers in the last 12 months. We've got to hang on to them. We've got to, the only way you do that is engage with them, um, provide them new experiences, um, look at ways that they're playing because we get so much data as an industry and, 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 you know, gamer first, it's always got to be gamer first. And I think the mobile platform is monstrous. I mean, you, you think about what's going on in mobile right now. Obviously, being at Unity, we're at the forefront of that. Um, and um, figuring out how we can continue to put new mobile experiences in front of gamers using um, new technologies that seem to be cropping up every single week uh, to provide innovation. Um, 
you know, the, the virtualization of experiences now. I don't think any of us in any rush to go to music concerts and with 20,000 strangers shoulder to shoulder. And how do we use technology to, to take us to that concert and have all of the experience you would have in that concert, but not be physically there? So I think, I think there's huge opportunities uh, for gaming to hang on to the growth that it's had in the last 12 months. Um, and the only way you need to do that, though, is these new experiences, whether it's new games, you're seeing consolidation in the industry with, with you know, as you just mentioned, you know, EA in the last quarter acquiring both Glue Mobile and, and Codemasters. Obviously, Xbox and Microsoft making huge pushes in, in, in um, buying massive developers like the Bethesda acquisition. So all of this, I think, bodes well that these companies believe in the future. You don't spend billions of dollars adding to your portfolio if you don't believe that there's growth ahead. Um, and so, um, and, and you think about the globalization of our industry and, and, you know, we don't have the geographic barriers that we did when I first, you know, uh, joined the industry where there were Japanese games and, and there were Western games. And, and so there were, and there was different tastes. It did the blending now, these games are all global and, and, and I'm delighted uh, to come back into the industry and experience this. And, you know, what am I, 22 years since I joined the industry. Um, and it's grown exponentially, both in, in size of gamers, playing in revenue, which allows bigger games to be developed because, you know, when I first, the budget for a game might've been three or 4 million when I, you know, first joined the industry, that felt like a lot of money. Now we're talking 30 to 40 million. And in some instances, hundred million plus to, to develop a game um, because of the technology you've got to develop underneath that game for it to be played on a, in an online state. And um, I think gamers have benefited enormously as a result of that. I guess that's the, uh, that's the thing we were talking about, the inevitability of people when they can go back outside, maybe putting down their controller for a bit, but whether or not we can, they can, whether they put that down permanently. And, and well, our conclusion was the, the, with the way the games are today, how connected they are and how online everyone is and, and how easy it is to sort of spot these trends and date, look at this data that, industry probably has it to lose rather than it's an yeah, no, I, I think you know it's it's on the it's exactly right it's on the industry to 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 retain the people getting people to pick up a controller invest in a piece of hardware is the hard thing and you know shame on us if if somehow we're not providing them with the experiences that they suddenly decide that they don't want to play games anymore and, and it is ours to lose um mm. And that's why games like we're developing at Nifty, which you can pick up even in a busy day, you can play for four or five minutes and feel like you've made progress. And then maybe in the evening, you know, uh, play three or four games in a row, which still is only 10 or 12 minutes for me. Um, you know, that's going to be the key, this kind of snack sized. But when you have enough snacks, you know, you're filling your mm -hmm. tummy. And yeah. uh, that, that is going to be the key because we can't always in our busy world sit down and play for two and a half hours yeah. in no. front of a screen. Yeah, so, so I think that's going to be the key. And games like we're developing, um, as I say, at Nifty with NFL and, and NBA licenses are going to be um, the things that people can gravitate to, particularly if you don't need to um, spend a lot of time to show progress. Brilliant. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you, Peter, for sharing your thoughts. It's nice to see you back in the video games industry. I'm looking forward to what comes next. 
that's all this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find all the previous GI Live online sessions on the podcasting platform of your choice. They're all on the same feed, along with our bonus shows, which are the five games of and the game developers playlist. We'll be back on Monday with our regular weekly show, which this week will be focused on our expectations and predictions for E3. We're going to be going big on E3, so expect some bonus episodes. Keep your eyes on the feed as we try to cover all the summer events that are upcoming in the next few months. In the meantime, you can get all your news, analysis, and insight into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you.